Between the Laughs, a podcast for people who think that TV comedy should be considered high art, except for Mrs. Brown's boys, obviously. I'm Rob Cowan, and I'm joined this week by Paul Brunger in Manchester and Mike Techman in Brighton. Hello, everyone. Hiya. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad, thanks. I'm not bad. It's uh, it's a nice, drizzly... What day is it? I've, I've not done any work in two months. Is it a Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's Wednesday, hump day. Is it? Are you now working a similar working pattern to your average sitcom character? Are you doing sort of a, I, a Chandler never goes to the office thing? I know, it feels very much like this. I, 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 I would, if I lived in New York City in an absurdly large flat, be going down to a coffee shop and sitting on a sofa with all my friends every day, <laughs> except all my friends are at work every day and, I, and I'm living with my parents in rural Lancashire. So are you more of a more of a rural Kramer then, kind of lounging around in a, in a robe, <laughs> <laughs> popping around your neighbours for ham? Re- renovating my house and stealing my neighbours' food, yeah. You, you can't That's tell right. me that, that having not done a day's work for several weeks, you haven't come up with at least one get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> I'm I mean, he wouldn't be here if he if he had. I thought this was it, the podcast. This is it. <laughs> I didn't say any of it worked. <laughs> so, which uh, which which comedies do you think are the most unrealistic in terms of their approach to how real people live? I mean, Friends has got to be pretty high up there. That's uh, that's pretty pretty uh outrageous that they've got these amazing apartments seemingly very close to central park uh certainly yep. very close to central perk which i presume is near central <laughs> park um and none of them do any jobs they all have wildly different incomes which they sort of draw attention to at some point yet yep. they all seem to be able to a be friends with each other and be kind of only hang out in these uh hang out in these amazing apartments and c have no other friends that is explored a little bit though isn't it the thing about well there's one episode i think where they the the three poorer ones at that stage um joey rachel and phoebe i think yeah can't afford to go to the gig that all of the others are going can't to afford to go hootie and the blowfish that's right that's yeah. right yeah yeah <laughs> but, and, uh, and and, the, and there is something as well that uh, they they actually do quite a decent job of addressing some of it because the apartment is apparently rent controls and everyone still and it's thinks it's a rent or something it? that lives there yeah um uh, they, they at least make sort of a a, a stab maybe at, uh, at explaining it but it's almost that it's almost the fact that I can I can believe an archaeologist doesn't have a lot to do in the day. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine there are many archaeological emergencies that Ross has to address. Whereas uh, Chandler and his work as a transponster or whatever it is that he does, um, <laughs> like they probably want you to show up in the office now and again. And like Monica's a chef, she surely has to work nights and stuff. Long hours, <laughs> gruelling hours. Maybe yeah. I'm just being a classic millennial and having a go at friends, but like... How, how many episodes are there in a series of friends? Oh, 20 or something. 20. So, so I guess we're only looking for like one one day a fortnight when they're, uh, when they're all not working and doing something at the same time, assuming that every episode only takes place in one day. That's right. I mean, my experience, they don't... Obviously, some of them live together, but Ross and Phoebe, certainly in the earlier seasons don't live anywhere necessarily that close to the other. That is true. And yet, like my experience of living in London, close to (laughs) close friends, I never see them. No, that's true. I mean, I don't don't live there anymore, but when I did, you know, 
six months would go by without seeing you some lived of these like people. Like, 15 I see people more often when me. I lived in San Francisco. We used to live 15 yeah, exactly. minutes from each other and we saw each other maybe maybe once a year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably saw Paul more. <laughs> but then but then they had no other friends. Maybe that's the key, is they, they've not hedged their bets in life. I mean if that if that in in theory when when they started going out with each other then breaking up, that should have destroyed them. They should have just been husks of people by the end of that. But but yeah, obviously like, for you know, no better alternative for them, keep going. Yeah. Like they should have split either split in half or Ross or Rich or should have been pushed out. Yeah. Well they're like Fleetwood Mac, aren't they? You know, people break up. Can't break the chain though. You've got to keep them together. <laughs> what, what? Are there any comedies worse than Friends for that? So I think of I, I think Game Face, uh, obviously made by friend of the pod, uh, Roisin Conaty, um, she's got an absolutely enormous house in that, uh, and obviously she shares it with a couple of people, doesn't she? Yeah, but still pretty big. I mean, I'll let her off because obviously she's got to fit cameras in it, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, that's pretty pretty outrageous. And How I Met Your Mother's pretty uh, pretty. Um, their, their kind of loft thing that they live in is incredible and one of the characters it turns out has a crippling mountain of credit card debt that just kind of gets blown away when they get given a massive mortgage um, <laughs> which <laughs> seems like it should have caused repercussions in the future but maybe that's maybe that's not how it works are they subprime is that <laughs> I think so yeah they get given like a something like a 15% interest rate or something absolutely ridiculous um, and then they uh, and this is you know post 2008 um, <laughs> <laughs> so unrealistic yeah, so that heap show is another one, isn't it? Yeah, like how if, how if much think, is Jez like, really? Because Mark loafing off. Jez contributes virtually nothing. It's always it's a running joke that he doesn't contribute towards the rent. He's always in arrears with Mark. Mark starts off in a like a, a not not a particularly high powered job. He's a bit of a um, pencil pusher, isn't he? Yeah, and then loses that job. And ends up working in a in a Mexican restaurant. Oh yeah! And yet he's managing to keep up the mortgage on a two bedroom flat in South London somewhere. It's, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's crudney crudney sort of area, isn't it? Yeah. So I think what we, what we've learned from this is what particularly what these three comedy fans want to see is much much more realistic mortgage applications in in sitcoms. That would really add to our enjoyment of what's going on. If they could just release like a sort of brief kind of uh, financial statement and set of tax returns for all the characters, just so <laughs> just so that the world yeah, isn't it should, broken. It should, like, it should be like Hillary and Trump. There should yeah. be a lot of pressure on them release to release the tax, returns. tax returns. Exactly. What, you know, I want to know, I want to see a, a bank statement for Mark Corrigan. That's what I want uh, before I can really enjoy Peep Show. That's always what held me back. <laughs> That incredible show. <laughs> well, very good. If you've got anything to say on that, don't forget to get in touch with us on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Between Laughs, Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs, or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. You can also, I mean, hopefully you've already subscribed to us on iTunes, but please do leave us a review on there. If you write something funny, we'll definitely read it out next time. I might regret that. <laughs> uh, where do I leave these reviews, Rob? on iTunes okay and and how many stars (laughs) do they need to be I would say minimum don't know how hard hard to push here five yeah minimum (laughs) five 
If you're reviewing it on Just Eat, you can you can leave six. <laughs> Does Just Eat do that? Yeah, well, they've gone to a controversial six-star system. That's ridiculous. You got you got to make a call. Is it bad or is it good? You can't you can't be on the uh, on the fence with Just Eat. So uh, for for those of you who haven't listened before, every episode one of us nominates some comedy. We all watch it and then we record ourselves talking about it. I then spend hours cutting out the dull, offensive, and libelous bits. <laughs> stick some brass music on either end and upload it to the internet from whence you listen right now. Paul, it was your turn. Tell us about your pick this week. So I had been hoping to uh, originally to pick Australian sitcom Soulmates when that was still on Netflix because I'd watched it. Ah. It, uh, it was by no means perfect, but I enjoyed a lot of it uh, and was really interested to hear what people thought. However, no one else, uh, no other Netflix subscribers in the world shared that opinion, so it's been taken off UK Netflix. So I thought, well, keeping with the Antipodean theme, I have gone for Nanette, uh, which is a live stand-up performance by a comedian, Australian comedian called Hannah Gadsby. Uh, it has been all over the internet, by which I mean, from my point of view, all over the Guardian website. <laughs> um, and it is a show which she toured for some phenomenal amount of time, uh, like 18 months touring this mm-hmm. show, which kind of would get into what the show is like, but I cannot think of a more draining uh, emotionally draining 18 months than touring this show uh, around the world. I can, I can imagine that was horrendous, so hopefully she's all right. I don't know. Um, it sort of opens as a fairly kind of stereotypical stand-up gig uh, and then goes into some some interesting places, shall we say, um, where she talks originally about uh, quitting comedy um, and and then kind of does so, but not in the way you expect. But it then goes on to be a completely straight-faced uh, commentary about what it her experiences as a as a lesbian and the, the world's reaction to that. Um, so there's some really kind of hard-hitting stuff as you as you go into it. So I'll be really I I um, really enjoyed it I think there's a lot to talk about there probably a lot of which we're not qualified to do but I'd be very keen to hear what you both thought of it are you saying three straight white men aren't qualified to do (laughs) (laughs) almost uniquely but then based on the quiz episode we're not not qualified to do much so I think it's fine thanks for having me back after that we'll get away with this no problem we're very much living white privilege here are we by by feeling feeling the authority to comment on anything when (laughs) being qualified to do nothing by the whitest of all mediums a podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, you're right Uh, it was it was toured for a long time I looked it up before it was um, it was it went to the Edinburgh Fringe it won best comedy show at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2017 and it's only just finished its run I think in the last few weeks Uh, it spent a long time in New York it's amazing the presence that she has like as she sort of transitions from comedy show into kind of um, I guess kind of one woman show kind of a uh, piece of theater uh yeah in the sydney opera house there's this huge amount of people watching her that she manages to really sort of uh you know you, you can see it really affects the audience i know i i was weeping by the end of it it's interesting i just pick up on what, something you described as a one woman show a second ago and i read a quote from an interview by hannah gadsby earlier it's, she says 
I knew that the show that I was looking to write would be dismissed critically as being just a one-woman show because I've seen it happen before. (laughs) And then I thought, well, that's a bad idea to just jump down on it like that. I mean, nobody ever accuses men of doing one-man shows. They just do them. And that got me thinking, you know, do we ever describe shows as one-man shows if we think there's not enough jokes in here? I mean, Stuart Lee's the only thing that springs to mind for me. So I actually... Uh, did see a one-man show uh, last year. Um, have you guys heard of the comedian Richard Gad? Um, he is no I, name rings a bell. He did a show called Waiting for Gaddo, which won the <laughs> Edinburgh Fringe. Then he toured a show called Monkey See Monkey Do, which is what I went to see. It's a very, um, it's a very. <laughs> It's a similar-ish premise. It's about him being sexually assaulted um, and the sort of repercussions that had on his uh, feelings about his manhood and his sexuality and all this sort of stuff. Um, And and he spends the whole thing on a treadmill um, because (laughs) a lot of... It was around the time that Katie Hopkins said, uh, I don't get depressed. For anybody who's got depression, don't take any medicine, just the best medicine you need is a pair of running shoes or something along those lines. It was something horrible. Um, and it, so he, he started running and it's sort of like, he kind of walks you through it and it's multimedia. Uh, and, and again, similarly, it's not, it's absolutely, I had a very similar emotional reaction to it. I left it feeling quite emotionally drained and, um, you know, sad <laughs> for want of a better adjective. Uh, but there were jokes in it and there were funny bits, uh, that in that one it was much more of um he didn't take you out of the comedy show he didn't it wasn't in the same sort of format it was it was you know there was you know stringing out the tension and then slashing it with a joke and then kind of doing that uh, repeatedly but it did obviously end with a with a very pretty punchy message um so yeah i, I mean i would i i have i'm pretty sure described that as a one man show uh, I do think that probably the word, the phrase one woman show does seem more prevalent. I don't know if there are more one woman shows. Maybe men aren't doing these sort of emotional, introspective things um, so much. I've certainly come across, uh, not necessarily watched, but come across reviews of uh, kind of serious emotional shows more from female comedians. And I wonder if that's that's you know part, a lot due to what Hannah Gadsby discusses around kind of the power play of of where women come to and self-deprecating humour and things like that. Because because I almost think because I mean there's a whole stack of comedians. This is one of these things. It's almost become a modern stand-up trope is doing the dead dad show. Yeah, um, where a lot of male comedians as well will do a show. But I just I just don't, I just don't think it gets labelled. I think if you go and see Simon Amstel do a show about his dead dad or something like that, then it's just his show. It's just his yeah. show. And I think I think because there's one man talking to you on the stage and it's about something kind of at least partially serious. But but you just default it to go. You know what? Well, it's whatever it is. I don't need. I don't need to. Yeah, sort that's of true. Mental, I don't, kind of don't need to label it. I almost think. I mean, I would. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't describe this as a as a one woman show, but then I would also not describe any of the the various dead dad shows as yeah. uh, as that. I guess. And I think to... not, but not from a position of expertise at all. <laughs> would you describe this as as comedy in it in a in a usual sense? I mean, it's not hilarious. Uh, no, to sort of 
There are good jokes, though. There are some good jokes, but they're but then you feel bad about laughing for the, at them later. <laughs> uh, well, I th- but I think that's what's great about it is is or certainly powerful about it is the first two thirds of it are actually I thought it was really punchy. I thought the jokes really well done. I thought it was very much. You know, I can in in an era where it seems like people who aren't that good seem to get given arena shows all the time, yeah. or people that I don't think are that good go yeah. from I have never heard of you to oh he's doing an arena tour and I go yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry John who Bishop what and hmm. I don't uh, whereas this I kind of thought oh no this is it's good stand up it, yeah it's good stand up that the jokes have clearly you know gone through a process of of editing them and making them tight and there's some really good stuff in there yeah um, but 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 this is but it's it's kind of absolutely deliberate that you you watch that stand up for two thirds of the show and then basically she tells you why are we laughing about this this isn't something we should be joking about this is actually incredibly serious yeah um and you know if 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 people spent half the effort they took kind of doing something about that rather than almost rather than coming to this show and, and laughing about it and diffusing it uh, if they just actually stayed angry about it yeah. that, would, that would actually be far more effective so I think it is incredible I think it's it's really interesting because I think because it effectively points out kind of the complicity of the audience uh, in a way that I, I'm i probably like you Rob I probably don't tend to get sort of super emotionally engaged in this stuff I've gone to see various things I've, I've seen various sort of iterations of the stereotypical dead dad show mm. uh, or dead parent shows um, and I've kind of come out and went mm, yeah okay I, I can see what you did there and it was fine uh, and I'm sure that was very sad but I haven't been emotionally engaged with it but definitely when you get sort of when when the shouting starts in this and you're kind of going oh yeah. shit she's got a point <laughs> then it's uh, is yeah it's pretty uh, it's pretty engaging I didn't cry obviously because I'm dead inside but other than that no really <laughs> really kind of engage and, and it's just kind of using it, I almost thought some of the the sort of the the talking about the techniques of stand up in the same way that a Stuart Lee would do where he'll mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. what I'm doing here is I've created some tension oh and now oh, I've chosen to diffuse the tension aha uh-huh. but that that's doing it in this almost kind of for its own sake look look how well I've mastered the medium kind of yeah. masturbatory way yeah whereas this is actually going I've I've showed you what the what the devices are behind this and actually this is why that's not necessarily the most useful or helpful or appropriate response yeah. to it is, yeah, is and, to, and just look what do happens that when Look what happens when I don't diffuse the tension. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, apparently, so so I read that she originally, when she first started the touring this show, she had a more combative uh, interaction with the audience, and that led her to actually to introduce more jokes to it. Right, interesting. It's for me. It's kind of like she is basically she's she's fed you a delicious sausage, and then. After eating it, she's told you all of the horrible things that went into making that sausage, so you feel quite sick. Uh, whereas Stuart Lee is much more bragging about his excellent techniques for making yeah. a sausage out of horrible material. And I think the you, you never there's no call to activism within the Stuart no. Lee jokes. Um, no, and I think within this there is you do Lee you do finish it feeling because she because you know that you've laughed at those jokes at the start and you know that you have been complicit in it it's a real uh, it's a really great way of uh, particularly as a straight white man 
having your your face rubbed in your sort of unconscious uh, complicity with these sort of with with you know the discrimination and uh, prejudice towards uh, LGBT people, um, are particularly people who are not um, gender normative, like uh, like Hannah Gadsby is. Um, so I thought it was really it was a really powerful way of 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 putting of uh, of of getting some empathy with the crowd by by taking that transition and making people look at themselves and it's um, I kind of started because I started watching it and she starts she talks a little bit about depression medicine in it and uh, there's a really interesting I thought that interesting there's a really interesting through line of the show about the um, uh, Vincent van Gogh uh, comments and um, when she started that I was like oh here we go because on the open mic circuit um, particularly where I'm gigging it's you know every night you'll have two or three people doing a, a bit about depression or whatever trying to do a, a kind of a Simon Anstall and Ernest comedian type thing and I thought well, not another one but she absolutely nails it um, she nails it when it's a joke and she nails it when she transitions it into being a um, play what would you call the end bit monologue I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm kind of with you. It's, it's definitely dramatic. I, I, I almost kind of struggle to apply something like play to it because it, do, it doesn't feel... It's dramatic and the techniques have been used are dramatic, but it doesn't feel kind of fictionalised at all. It just feels like, well, this is what happened and but the, what the hell are you going to do about it? I, I think uh, I like the idea of this uh, subversion of the callback. You know, yeah. so many comedy shows will have, have the callback, a very effective comedy device to to make something funnier by referencing it a second time in a slightly different context. But she completely subverts that, flips it upside down by using it to revoke earlier humour. So she, she'll, yeah. she'll yeah. tell a joke and then 30 minutes later, your permission to laugh at that joke has just been revoked. Yeah. And mm. uh, it's time for you to sit down and hear some, some honest truths. And that's... That I think was extremely powerful. As as someone who gets kind of mega excited about about watching Stuart Lee, probably less so that it's kind of the same thing he's doing for the, about the fifth tour in a row. <laughs> but as someone who gets incredibly excited about that and sort of recognises the the technical mastery of it and enjoys kind of the the way that it's used, I genuinely think this is kind of the just the the most sort of skilled use of those sort of techniques around mm. what you do with tension and status and what you do with um what you do with callbacks and all that technical stuff i've i've kind of never seen that used in a way that really because you because she's built up so much trust by coming on and getting the comedy really you know really tight bang 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 this is good i've got all your trust you all trust me now right okay what are we going to use that for yeah yeah rather than just sort of i'm going to use it to do some jokes that if i'd started with them wouldn't have worked I'm going to come in and we're going to do this now. And I just never, I think like for that reason alone, I mean, that's why I kind of love that it's had, albeit in, in the echo chamber, but it's had yeah. <laughs> a lot of coverage. Because I, I mean, had, you, had either of you heard of Hannah Gadsby before we did this? Um, no. no, no. What literally all I knew before we did this was all related to this show. So it was the fact that the Guardian had mentioned it a lot mm. and a, a comic friend of mine on facebook had uh, written a facebook post about it 
um, and then got in, sort of had some vigorous debates with uh, with people he knew uh, underneath that. So I sort of flipped through that to try not to spoil myself. Yeah, uh, and that's what I knew. I, so I'd not heard of her at all. Yeah. But- so in uh, in July, uh, the New York Times said this uh, on June nineteenth, a stand up special called Hannah Gadsby and Annette appeared on Netflix. An Australian comedian with a role in the sweet Antipodean sitcom Please Like Me. Gadsby was virtually unknown in the United States and her special arrived with little fanfare. So, yeah, she wasn't known for doing anything particularly mm. interesting. Did you... Um, and, yet to be coming, and yet to be coming out in, in the Sydney Opera House and yeah. kind of do, doing the thing that you just think, God, I I couldn't connect doing stand-up in, at that level with people in front of, you know, ten people in a tiny room, let alone kind of what she does there and you can kind of hear a pin drop yeah. when, when this stuff's going on you know it's, it's not people have gotten oh I don't I don't want to be engaged in this so this is but I came in to laugh I want to Hindu you know uh, there's <laughs> yeah. none of that it's just you've been to one of my because she's kind of won your trust over <laughs> right we're doing this now and and that's where I'm taking you oh okay oh well, yeah. I guess we'll have to oh dear and I think that's where <laughs> the, the comedy festivals are really great because these are the sort of shows that can only come out of comedy festivals you know the yeah. you're yeah. not going to be able to do you're not going to be able to practice that in tight fives uh, for no. You know, it, it, it's something that you build as a as a whole piece of art and I think that's something that's been a really important effect of things like the Edinburgh Fringe on comedy in general that you're starting to get these like Simon Amstel like the Richard Gadd show I mentioned earlier like Nanette these shows that are very tightly thematic um, in a similar way to how Stuart Lee has been doing for a while um, these certainly in his book he talks about how he decided to he made a conscious shift from trying to do the sort of 5 10 15 build it up to an hour of just like random bits and make it into a more of a uh a woven um arc that you take the audience on yeah um yeah absolutely and if if you're doing a, if you're doing your 5 minutes or your 10 minutes and you don't get a laugh or 10 or 20 seconds that almost feels problematic but yeah in a show like this, Hannah Gadsby can go 10 or 15 minutes without a laugh. And that fits within the narrative. Well, I can do it that. would be impossible <laughs> to do it. Yeah, we can all do that. <laughs> um, did you see what Michael Che sort of uh, almost subtweeted about it? It wasn't, a, it wasn't in a tweet, but it was an interview. I did not, because I do not know who that is. So Michael Che is the head writer for SNL, and he's a, he's a oh, yeah. black American comedian who does the kind of weekend update thing with Colin Jost. Um, and he kind of, with a lot of the stuff around this and also the stuff around uh, people's jokes being kind of dug up, like James Gunn's, which admittedly are not good jokes, um, he kind of said... Uh, why can't we just have jokes basically Um, why can't we let (laughs) jokes just be jokes Um, which is interesting because obviously uh, I've seen I've seen some of his specials and uh, he like a lot of uh, black American comics a lot of his stuff is about race Um, and I've not seen anyone do a uh, and a show from the perspective of a, a black American man that that takes you there and sort of gives you that feeling of empathy like, like this does. I think a couple of Dave Chappelle's come kind of close in his more recent kind of pensive ones, but obviously it's Dave Chappelle. So he wants to also make you think that he's a cock at the same time. So it's, um, it was, it was sort of a, it's an interesting debate. And I think a lot of people are getting quite hung up about whether or not you classify it as a, as a stand up show. 
um, which is kind of not the point. <laughs> and you and you could only have this show in the framework of it being comedy because of just how that first two thirds works and that position that that puts you in. Yeah, for the second half yeah. of it, I think you yeah, could only do be- this as 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 comedy as stand up really. And if I, you I, remove I, the jokes, it would be a very niche. Um, it'd be a very niche performance. In a, in a, in a, up, upstairs in a pub somewhere. The only people who would go and see this if it didn't do, if you couldn't bill it as comedy and the first two thirds didn't do what it can do, you'd only get people who basically agree with it. Yeah, and you'd get, absolutely. You'd get, an audi- you'd, be, you'd get an audience who already relates so massively to, yeah. to who Anna Gadsby is. Yeah. That would uh, be great. But then actually it wouldn't land because you go, no. yes, I agree with all of this. Whereas the whole point of this is you're kind of going, Oh God, I do agree with this, and uh, uh, I, and I'm not without responsibility. Uh, yeah, you find yourself challenged. And, uh, yeah, you're not. You, it's absolutely. Uh, uh, it kind of needs to be a comedy to to not be preaching to the choir. The closest thing I ever saw to this without jokes is um, I went to see the Testament of Mary, which is a. I'm going to say it again. It's a one woman show. <laughs> it's a. It's a. Um, it's a. a play based on a book by um i don't know how to say their name colm tobin or something like that um apologies to any irish listeners uh and it's it's just basically the story of jesus from the perspective of mary and it's just you know one woman on a stage talking uh for an hour and a half uh and i turned up six pints deep um <laughs> I did not right off the stage. <laughs> it did not sustain my attention. I'm really, uh, I'm going to have to be honest, um, because there was no rapport building like this. This show does, and it's not. It's yeah. not it wasn't accessible like this show is. You know, you've got to be uh, in a certain state of mind and definitely not drunk to to be able to get that sort of thing. If you're, if you don't, kind of soften the landing a little. Well, not soften the landing, kind of. Grease up the slide take a little on the bit. journey. Take, take them on yeah. the journey. Exactly. That's what she does. She takes she takes, she takes you on the journey from from going. Oh, who's this? Oh, she's a stand up. Oh, she's good. It's funny. All right, it's good. I can laugh at this. And then then being explicitly told that you can't really laugh at this. And it's just fantastic that it works. I think it only works uh, in that forum. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What one thing that I kind of thought about this, and it's sort of connecting some of my wider things about this and, and sort of this 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 permission to laugh thing because obviously you get this a lot on uh, on Twitter and lots of unfunny uh, stand-ups at all levels of the game whether it's people who sort of turn up at an open mic night or whether it's actually big names who, who will who will set up venues or not set up venues and get changed in a car park Jim Davidson <laughs> and but just this idea that oh well you can joke about you can joke about anything can't you I mean I can do I can do jokes about women because they're just jokes so I'll, oh, I'll do sexy jokes they're just jokes and I always this is Rowan Atkinson's thing isn't it from the last couple of weeks yeah yeah and and I, and I kind of think there's a there's a piece there that says well actually I think you can do jokes about stuff and and that's kind of fine but almost what it says here which is kind of and i might just be reading into it because this was probably my my take on this anyway was well if you're not doing at least as much to solve the problem as you are to make a funny joke about it it doesn't matter that you don't believe mm. the sexist things you're saying you're saying them ironically the fact is if you haven't put at least as much effort into sorting the problem out 
that's not really the most helpful approach and you obviously aren't kind of that keen on on yeah <laughs> on doing anything other than making light of it and i think yeah i definitely agree i think until i watched this i'd been of that kind of mind that you see predominantly male comedians saying i mean you see a few female comedians saying like sarah silverman in the past she's sort of moved past that now but um of you know everything is okay for a joke jokes are jokes um and then I sort of watched and I kind of I'd kind of always kind of believed that and nothing I'd ever done in my com- comedy um I only make jokes about Yorkshire tea really um but <laughs> the in 10 years when my Yorkshire tea bit's incredibly famous people will love that but uh it was um it really challenged that and it 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 kind of made me feel bad for thinking that because you kind of realise that jokes can do harm and that you know you've got to be comedy should be about punching up and it should you know, you've got to, you can't take your uh, status and privileges away from you when you stand on a stage and start making jokes about stuff. You know, you can't suddenly stop being a straight white man and allow yourself to make jokes about anything, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, I kind of, and I kind of think it, all, it, it, it sort of goes beyond the, the punching up stuff because, because I think even, uh, that's almost what this says is, oh, her jokes are obviously you know, right on and groovy and and kind of find it, they're ticking all the boxes of, of being on the right side. And she's even saying, well, even that's not actually the point. The point is, what is the serious thing that happens about it? Because if you're, if you come in here and I, you know, make you feel uncomfortable about, about experiences that she's had and the way people have approached her and attacked her and things like this, and then she diffuses that with a joke. Yeah. Well, we go home and think, ah, it's oh, it's sorted fine. then, isn't it? Yeah. We did a joke about it, so it's sorted. And it's even, say, I think it's even beyond the punching down, it's that actually it, <laughs> the the whole effect of, of, of that at all kind of doesn't work in a lot of ways. And, and obviously, you know, she's a stand-up and, and she hasn't sort of quit stand-up, as she said, but within within that part of the performance, she does quit stand-up and she kind of says that that on its own kind of doesn't work and we need to do other things. Yeah. I would I would question, though, that, you know, is... A, is is that the point of comedy or is that the point of going to watch comedy that you should come away feeling like you have to change the world in some way? No. I, I, don't, I don't think it is, but I think the issue is I probably spend more time watching comedy than I do changing the world. Um, <laughs> and are my priorities entirely correct in that regard? Her point is that she, she used to do and does in this set still a little bit do self-deprecating jokes. Yes. Yeah. And that gives permission, essentially, for the audience to laugh at, at flaws. But that's what that's what a lot of stand-up comedy is, anyway. It's what she, she's now with. she's now essentially saying that that that's that's not good, and that inequalities that she's drawing a, drawing uh, attention to, we shouldn't be laughing at because that's not doing anything about them. But 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 if she takes that too far, then then nobody goes to see the show in the first place because it's not a comedy show anymore. Yeah, and I, I think as well, there's an element to it which is about it's a personal thing for her where she feels like she is causing herself damage, and I don't I don't yeah. think that in doing this she's. Uh, necessarily passing judgment on other queer comedians who you know are, are perfectly happy um making their living off of doing jokes about being queer and their experiences with that um i think 
I just I think that comedy is a limited platform for activism. Activism. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that not everything has to be a platform for activism. I think uh, you know, it's uh, it's good that we have comedy, and I think it's important that we have comedy, and I think that some comedy can really make you think and tug at your heartstrings and that's great and we really love those comedies uh but some comedy is just stupid and fun and we love those comedies as well and it's important to be able to um i don't think there's going to be a sort of call for revolution coming from this where we we get rid of all the jokes um (laughs) which you know damn it that's the hardest bit of comedy (laughs) no more jokes just say just say some of your feelings rob uh, but I, but, I, but I think I think that's almost what we said is that's why this wouldn't work if it if it wasn't comedy. So it kind of you kind of you kind of have to you know hu- human beings on one level being pretty selfish. You've got to got to give them something that they can yeah. they can relate to. But actually, because you always get this sort of thing where it talks about um, for example to, to go ludicrously academic, uh, you get the the whole thing about sort of medieval type. Fool's Day, where everything's topsy turvy, and we give the the village idiot he's now the mayor for the day, uh, <laughs> and isn't this great? Because it shows that we're letting everyone have a chance. Uh, and it's a question of, oh, is it to let everyone have a chance, or is it because then everyone stops being really aware of all the terrible inequalities in the system, and and you're going to move on for it? So it, I, I think it's really interesting because it, it, it is sort of that comedy soul searching about you know does satire bring down a government or does it just make everyone go oh yeah government eh but if it makes you feel better about the situation that you're collectively in satire you know satire won't bring down trump but if it makes you feel better about the fact that trump is the president or rather oh, yeah, eases no, your value in this stuff but but there, there are also kind of limits to what it can do yeah um and i think i think that's almost the story here is right this is what this does and doesn't do yeah um and and now you know <laughs> it, it, i would say the other thing i think is is a total one-off i don't you can't have yeah. another one of those shows do you know what i mean you, another comedian no, she couldn't can't do, do that one. yeah it's but she couldn't do it again either no no one. no we, just just the, the the pure emotion of it it only yeah. works because you go oh crap You're although like, this is in a dramatic setting this is just yeah. this is just someone who genuinely has lived this and is feeling this now. Yeah. Whereas if, if you if she did another show, you'd think you know it's a bit like a bit contrived then. It, it, yeah. Again, yeah. You go, oh yeah. Okay. Now you get angry about this. Oh, yeah. Very good. It, it, <laughs> it almost it can't it become... defeats the whole object of what this show does. Yeah. To, to kind of do it again, almost. It can't become a thing. That, <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't want to be talking about the instead of the dead dad show. We don't want to be talking about the destroys permission to laugh at jokes in comedy yeah. show. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it only works because you're not expecting it, and you it only works because you've never seen it before, and you and you you're used yeah, to comedy yeah, being yeah, a that's, comedy. That's true, actually. If you expected it to happen, if you went to go and see it again. Yeah, you just be going. Oh, it's coming! It's going to yeah, do that. Exactly. She's going to do it. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, Whereas, exactly. Yeah, I, I, it's all about the trust that's built up, and then oh, now here we are. And yeah, I, mean, I, I would definitely think people need to watch it. I mean, oh, hearing yeah. us talk talk rot about it, and <laughs> and, and occasionally reference medieval fools and and the LGBT community and the the purpose of comedy uh, doesn't kind of give you a no. Doesn't really hit you with how good this is, both powerful. on a comedic level and also. So just yeah, just what what that's then used to do is uh, is really impressive. That yeah, that recording of it is I think going to be uh, something of a, of a of a classic that goes back. People go back to a lot because it's you know 
Yeah, I hope so. I think that's a really good point. I really hope it is. It's it's kind of a it's almost a watershed moment. It's it's not um in the sense that as we just kind of said, you can't do that again. Another another key comedian couldn't come and do the I quit comedy thing, uh, but it is opening the door for other comedians to come on and talk about the effect of being a comedian on their life and what that's like and. Um, and it'll change the way they think and the way they write as well, I think. I think so too. I hope so. I hear Jim Davidson's doing a, a show, his next show, about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> about... About how white men just can't do anything anymore. It's awful. Oh, we're under such threat from women and the other ones. <laughs> Nanette is available in both the UK and the US on Netflix. Don't forget, uh, you can contact us on Twitter at Between Laughs, Instagram at Between Laughs, Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. It's time for a little bit of levity. It's the it's the sitcom World Cup. And unfortunately, the, the draw for this week's sitcom World Cup does not really match the tone of what we've just been discussing. Um, this week, it's Family Guy versus South Park. So, uh, so Mike, how do you like your adult cartoons? Obvious or clever? Uh, I like them clever. Um, but I also like a lot of fart and poo jokes. Um, so, I mean, I, I make no uh, bones to hide that I absolutely love adult cartoons uh and children's cartoons um and i i think that um both are really great i think that family guy started off really great uh and became pretty shite uh pretty quickly um whereas south park has kind of steadily um, matured and developed and the most recent maybe 10 seasons are fantastic apart from the one season where they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election and had to rewrite mm-hmm. six episodes uh, in about <laughs> two days so they have like <laughs> plot lines flying over everywhere <laughs> so they thought yes. they were going to have a really satisfactory conclusion but uh, I think I think South Park's phenomenal I think it's uh, I think um they they don't pull their punches. I think they they are pretty good at um, equally satirising the left and the right uh, in a way that is quite difficult. Um, but they tread the, the balance pretty well. I think they've got some really awesome characters that uh, are pretty well. You know, they they're well developed and you know what they're like. Uh, I've played both the both the PlayStation Four games. They're very funny as well. <laughs> uh, South Park, absolute smash. So the ball uh, has hit the back of the net for South Park. Paul, is there going to be an equaliser or are they going to finish it off? I feel more that I have not necessarily grown up with with South Park, but 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 we've both sort of grown over the same period. So I think when you go back and watch the first series of South Park now, where it's just the fact that some kids say fuck and <laughs> a giant antennae comes out of someone's anus, yeah. uh, you kind of look back and go, oh, yeah, I can see why my wife doesn't think this is that funny. Um, and actually, from the early days, the... The episode I now found funniest from the early days of South Park is the one that I found not at all funny at the time, which is the first Terence and Philip episode. Um, It doesn't always necessarily hit the mark for me, but kind of family guy, I probably agree. I I can't even work out whether it has gotten worse from a writing perspective or whether it came along, it was something completely different, breath of fresh air, and that was fun for a while. And then you go back, and even the stuff that was fun then 
actually isn't fun. So I don't know. I don't even know whether the early stuff was better written and then got worse or or what it is. But you kind of watch it now and you think, if this wasn't a cartoon, uh, no one would be laughing at this. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane, um, I think after maybe the third or fourth series, wanted to stop uh, and do something different. Uh, but he kind of got forced into it by Fox. Um, and I think that's where it really starts to drop off because he cannot be asked. So, yeah, I mean, to, to clear two-goal lead for South Park, I, I agree. I, I would give it a third goal. Um, it's I the group stages. You get a few fixtures like this, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with everything you said about, about Family Guy. I agree with everything you said about South Park. I... I had uh, the last couple of years living in America. I had the advantage of being able to watch uh, on Hulu the the episodes as they came out each week, and that was something new to me. It, it went from being a funny cartoon that's sort of vaguely satirical to it being almost a live weekly satire of what was going on, especially uh, in the run up to the presidential election. And yeah, they did have mm. to change the the outcome of that and and therefore the direction of the next season because Mr. Garrison slash Trump won. Um, but it it was uh, it, it was really you know the, how they how they played with this idea of nostalgia through the, the member berries mm. and things like that was uh, was really very clever. It wasn't just a simple let's mock Trump, yeah. let's mock Hillary. It was it was let's actually let's have a look at what what's going on in in small town working class America. Yeah. Why are, what are these people reminiscing about? What do they think was better in the old days and and how can America be great again? What, when was it great, and why was it great? Yeah, they, they've done some. They've they've got better with time, um, and I hope they keep getting better. Yeah. So it's a three nil win to South Park. So that's all that we've got time for. So we'll be back next time to discuss the lovely comedy. It couldn't be further from the net or South Park or Family Guy. The lovely comedy Parks and Recreation. Uh, bye. Bye. If actually, that's finish. And that is the finish. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>